Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host, and we have an excellent, a really big shoot tonight. Uh, we have a we have two shows going on tonight. The first hour, I'm glad to say I have an exclusive interview about the uh, UAP hearing last week. Uh, Leslie Kane, who was actually in attendance there, and it was a week ago today, and uh, there's been a lot of grumbling. I like what uh, I like what Ralph Blumenthal said last week. He said, "Let's not focus." On the negative, let's focus on the positive where this thing has led. And I agree with that. We're going to be talking about uh, things with Leslie, what it was like being there and what it was like being there after. I think that's also uh, really important as well. So the first hour, if you're watching live, um, if you're listening live to KGRA radio, no problem. Everything's going to be all set for you. If you're watching live, what you're going to have to do is jump over to the next stream right after the hour is up, and I'm going to be talking with Randall Nickerson over there about his uh, film that just released last Friday, and that is The Aerial Phenomenon, a great film. And so just remember, you want to jump over to the next show, and that's right over on our YouTube channel and over on Facebook as well. So uh, our blog this week is a UFO and Humanoids Reported in Canada by Charles Lear. Great blog, as always. And just so you know, next week we have uh, former U.S. Air Force Sergeant Mario Woods about a uh, very frightening UFO encounter the, that he had. Uh, it's very interesting. He's been on Unidentified and a number of other uh, shows talking about that. I think it's a Discovery Plus. He's going to be on that uh, soon as well. So uh, here we go. I'm bringing in our guest, Leslie Kane. Welcome. Hello. Hi, Martin. Good to be with you. Great to be with you. And it's always, uh, I always enjoy our discussions. Uh, really, uh, I think I had you on fairly early. You had enough faith in me that uh, you, uh, I think you might have checked me out a little bit and thought I might be okay. <laughs> when was that? Well, you're talking, when you say earlier, when does that mean? Uh, well, you know, I, I started my show back in 2011. Okay. And when I met in person in 2013 in North Carolina, I remember right. that. I remember. And that's also when I read, uh, met Randall Nickerson as well at the same at the same place. Right. And I believe you were on once before that time. So anyway, you've been on a number of times, and you, uh, I like what you have done and how you have helped move the needle. And of course, December. 16th, 2017, the New York Times article really pushed everything ahead. Um, no one can deny that in any type of way. So let's talk about last week. And also, you know, you released an article. You knew, you somehow, you knew, you and Ralph knew ahead of all of us that this was going to happen. And, and why such short notice, first of all, on, on that? Did um, they not give a very long notice? They, they didn't give. It was only... I think our, didn't our story come out like a week before the it event, was. something yes. like that? Yeah. And so I found out about it maybe four or five days. I mean, I knew it was going to happen. I just didn't know when. And I was on hold with Carson's office and uh, got word, okay, it's happening, you know, May 17th. Uh, it gave us a very, very short time to do the story. Um, but the biggest thing was, we were waiting to get an interview with Mr. Carson because we, that was core to the uh, story was to have him on the record and not just a manufactured quote, like he put out in his press releases. So I, I it was really amazing because the story was due on a Monday because we wanted to get it out the day before, I guess it was of my sense of timing. Um, anyway, we want, Oh yeah, because they were going to announce it at 10 AM on a Tuesday the Tuesday before, and we wanted to get our, we had permission from them to get our story out at 3 a.m. that same day or midnight or something. So yeah. we had to get it into the New York Times, uh, you know, by noon on the Monday. And I, we didn't get the interview with Carson until 10 on that very day. So Ralph and I yeah. worked over the weekend on crafting the story. And then we had, to, I, I mean, I was the one that ended up doing the interview. And then we had to I had to quickly process that interview and pick pick what we were going to put from him. And it was very, very rushed because um, we were supposed to have had the interview earlier, but they couldn't make it happen. So anyway, that's how it often goes when you're writing stories for 
the New York Times. But I love the quote that he gave for the that I put at the very end about the bipartisanship, the importance of bipartisanship, and that maybe this is one thing that Republicans and Democrats won't fight about. Uh, yes. At least, for, at least for a while, he said. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's the case. It's remained very bipartisan, and it's just such a wonderful thing to to witness that. Right. It's kind of like Reagan used to say. He said that quote many times. What if we were all of a sudden contacted by an extraterrestrial intelligence? We would all come together. Something along yeah. those lines. Yes. And who knows if that would actually happen if things yeah, got you know more obvious to the world. But we don't know. Um, but yeah. for right now, it's it's pretty hard to politicize this issue. Do you think that other countries were paying attention to this? Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. This was this was covered by media all over the world. This hearing. Mm-hmm. Oh, they were paying attention all over the world. I mean, the countries that, you know, I, I mean, oh, yeah. I think this was a really big deal for, I do too. for everyone. Yeah. I do too. And hopefully there'll be more. I don't know, you know, uh, I don't know if you know any more information, whether we know that there'll be more public hearings. I mean, I only know what people have said, um, you know, that we should have them. We will have them. I mean, Lou Elizondo has said we will definitely be having more hearings. You know, whether he where he's getting that information from, I'm not completely sure. But even some of the members of Congress have implied that we should have more hearings. And I think there's some speculation about maybe the Senate is going to want to jump in now that the House has done it. Uh, and the Senate hearings maybe will be broader in terms of the kind of witnesses that they would call. So it's like it's like steps. And it's hard for me to imagine that there won't be more hearings. Uh, right. I mean, it's so yeah. clear that a lot of the people, people in both the House and the Senate and the intelligence committees, committee, committees are really passionate about this. They care. They're committed. And it's it's we're on our way. There's no turning back at this point. And I really do believe that they're going to stay on this and that they are committed to it. And so I suspect there'll be more hearings. Yes. And I'd want to just take a quick step back uh, if, if we could, because, you know, you were talking about the New York Times and uh, that people should know that the New York Times, they're very, very cautious. I believe you told me before when you, uh, published the, I forget how long it took, the December 16th, 2017 article. Uh, before you published that, what type of scrutiny, just quickly, I want you to tell the listening audience what type of scrutiny that the New York Times has. Intense scrutiny. Multiple editors, multiple layers of editing, especially for that story. I mean, I'm sure this last one was not like that. This yeah. was it. But um the editing process was really, really intense for that story. And there were things we wished all three of us, Helene Cooper and Ralph and I wished could have stayed in there that were taken out. You know, they were, they requested, they were told us we had to get some skeptical comments, which had nothing to do with the story and the kind of looked ridiculous in there, but we had to do that. Um, you know, and I fully respect the, I mean, I, I don't want to disparage them. I respect the standards that the times holds uh, I love the fact that they have such high standards. I love the fact that they are on, on the conservative side because that's what gives them the credibility that they have. That's mm-hmm. why the New York Times is able to move the needle, you know, because people yes. know that about the paper and it has a lot of authority. And, you know, we don't we can't publish stories with anonymous sources, which other publications do on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's very we have you know, there are so many stories that we see other publications being able to cover that we just can't for the New York Times because they don't rise to the level of standard that the Times requires. And it's frustrating, but it's also meaningful that when we do a story, it really means something. So it, it's, it is, um, that, that first story was really, really uh, intense, um, but I'm very happy with the way it turned out. Um, just, just because I, I have a moderator in there and thank you, moderator. Um, and he just noted that you did not want to discuss the uh, Wilson document. But I, I just want to just and it's because you just don't know enough about it. Right. I mean, I just want to get that out there. I mean, the Wilson document, I just don't want to comment on it. Uh, Ralph and I, you know, we've we've had a we've been together working on certain things around that. But, um, you know, it, I don't have any special insight into it that anyone else doesn't have. Uh, I think that a lot of 
researchers like Richard Dolan have done really good analyses of that document. Uh, I have my own sources I talk to, but I don't have anything particularly to add to the dialogue about that. I just don't want to comment yeah. on it at this point. I, I'm glad that it's in the congressional record. I think that's a good thing. But, at least look into it. And, yeah, you exactly. Know, speaking of that, um, one of the things I think this is very important myself is that, all right, I, I've seen this happen before. Say someone is looking at this now, Moultrie, I guess he's, he's had an interest in this. But when someone first starts looking at this topic, you can certainly, by error, go down all kinds of rabbit holes. There's all kinds of traps laid out there when it comes to YouTube videos, when it comes to um, the fringe that sounds really interesting, things that have been disproven. How, When they're going to investigate, how are they going to avoid these little sand traps of... Uh, you know, the, the hoaxes, et cetera, out there. I mean, do they, it's almost like they need someone like you or someone that's really well-versed in the UFO topic that has a level head that's not going to let them go down the, the wrong paths. I think they will. I mean, I, I think that people like Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon can provide those kinds of services to them. And I, I assume that they will consult with Chris and Lou and, and others. Um, and I just want to also just take my hat off to Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo, because if it weren't for them, there wouldn't have been any hearings. And they have just been incredibly important working behind the scenes. I mean, I've been in touch with them over the years about the work they do behind the scenes. And I don't know if everybody knows about it, especially from Chris, because he's pretty quiet about it. But they are absolutely major players in this. And I think that they are in touch with the key people in both the Senate and the House that are looking into this. And, and I'm sure that those members will go to them for advice um, about, you know, issues that are of the craziness of things they can run into. I'm sure they have good people guiding them about that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know Lewis in Washington, D.C. quite a bit. Um, yep. You know, just when because I've been in touch with this uh, with his wife, I'm just, you know, trying to communicate with him basically. So it's interesting. And you're not the first person that has said that to me, that this would have never happened without their efforts, which is great. I mean, the first, the first step in the whole domino effect was Lou resigning from the DOD. Mm -hmm. Lou resigning from ATIP. That's what set everything in motion and then allowing us to publish that story in the New York Times. And that, but it was really him. He, he, he started the whole thing. And he's still deeply involved in making a major contribution. Yes, Yep. And uh, he has stepped back from doing podcasts for a little while. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of controversy. Uh, people are uh, attacking him and things like that. So, um, but he's always got a welcome place here whenever um, he would like to talk. So um, let's talk about you decided you were going to go to the hearing. And so how did all that, how, how well, was that? Yeah, I didn't just decide. You can't just sort of decide and say, I'm going. You have to get in. It's not <laughs> yes. easy. The reason All I was right, able yes. to go was because I'm working with CNN. I'm working on a five-part series for CNN on UFOs, Breakthrough hmm. Films, which is the same film company that did Surviving Death for Netflix based on my other book, my, my book called Surviving Death. And um, so I've worked with this company for years. And um, because of the, the fact that we're doing the series for CNN, I was able to get a press pass through CNN. Because as an independent journalist, otherwise I wouldn't, you know, you ha I have to get a press pass from somebody to get in and you have to go through the, the uh, required assess, you know, whatever they have to do to approve you, which, which they did for me at CNN. So that's how I was able to sit in that room with the rest of the media that was in there. And you couldn't see them. They're sort of in the back of the room in little tables. So you, when, they, when they showed it on C-SPAN, you can't see all the, the media that are sitting around. But, you know, they were people there from the Washington Post and major media, all of them were there. Um, and it was just, I just felt it really uh, thrilling to be physically in that space. I mean, it was like, I couldn't see the, it was a huge room as you can see, and I couldn't really see the faces of the, of the, the members who were asking the questions. I was sort of sitting to the side and kind of behind the two witnesses. So it's like, but none of that really mattered to me. You know, I could hear everything. And, and when they first showed the video, I couldn't even see it because I was behind the screen. And eventually I stood up and was able to see it. But 
it, you know, the, 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 what was important to me was just the, the thrill of being in that physical space for this historic event. And I really do feel, I know people are unhappy with a lot of what happened there, but I feel like, as Ralph said, that overall, this was an amazingly positive development that this hearing happened at all and that the members did ask good questions. And it just teaches us where we need to go next. And that's really valuable. So I just was really, really, I felt so fortunate that I could be in that, in that room. That was the main thing. Um, yeah, and just absorb would... the energy of that and this, you know, being or hanging around where they were setting up and the members were filing in and watching Carson, he, you know, he sat there for like 15 minutes just studying his notes and just kind of, um, you know, media walking around, doing spot photos and interviews with people, and then just being able to be present for it was, was really cool. That's great. So, I'm going to play yeah. a, a clip of Scott Bray. Uh, okay. It's just a short clip right here, about okay. two, two and a half minutes. Chairman Schiff, Chairman Carson, Ranking Member Crawford, and committee members, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to be here today to highlight the ongoing work of the Department of Defense uh, regarding unidentified aerial phenomena. Since the early 2000s, uh, we have seen an increasing number of unauthorized and or unidentified aircraft or objects in military-controlled training areas uh, and training ranges and other designated airspace. Reports of sightings are frequent and continuing. We attribute this increase in reporting to a number of factors, including our work to destigmatize reporting, an increase in the number of new systems such as quadcopters and unmanned aerial systems that are in our airspace, uh, identification of what we can classify as clutter, mylar balloons and other types of, uh, of air trash, and improvements in the capabilities of our various sensors to detect things in our airspace. Almost two years ago in August of 2020, Deputy Secretary of Defense Nordquist directed the establishment of the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force within the Department uh, of the Navy. The UAP task force was built on the foundation of the Navy's initial efforts to respond to the reports from our aviators on unidentified objects observed in our training ranges. The basic issues then and now are twofold. First, incursions in our training ranges by unidentified objects represent serious hazards to safety of flight. In every aspect of naval aviation, safety of our air crews is paramount. Second, Intrusions by unknown aircraft or objects pose potential threats to the security of our operations. Our aviators train as they would fight. So any intrusions that may compromise the security of our operations by revealing our capabilities, our tactics, techniques, or procedures uh, are of great concern uh, to the Navy and the Department of Defense. From the very beginning, we took these reports very seriously we instituted a data-driven approach to the investigations where we could collect as much data as possible and use all available resources to analyze and make informed decisions on the best ways to address our findings. Our main objective was to transition UAP efforts from an anecdotal or narrative-based uh, approach to a rigorous science and technology engineering-focused study. This data-driven approach uh, requires input from a wide variety of sources. Uh, in the early stages, uh, the task force worked to standardize the reporting mechanisms and processes to make it as easy as possible uh, for personnel to report any engagement so that we were getting that wide range of reporting that we needed. Well, I think, I think that's all very important because think of the change of the way it was, you know, it was such a taboo subject before. And now it's like they're handing them an easy mm -hmm. way to report it. Um, and the best line I like in that whole thing is to change it from anecdotal to, you know, science-based data. I think that's... Yeah, well, let's hope it happens. I mean, I think he's describing something that hasn't... Is He describes it as if more has happened in that regard than actually has happened. I mean, I think they... They still have a long way to go to pull all this data together and get their project, their program rolling. Um, yeah. So he's putting his best face on it. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not a whole lot. You know, I think we've we've all seen that many times. And you know, I don't know what I I don't know what else to say about it. But I I, I mean, I'm very positive about the whole thing. But you know, but I do feel like I mean, there was a sense that. These guys, first of all, don't know all that much about 
UFOs. Yeah. And their their job is really to pull these programs together and kind of collect data, get everything organized. And it's not to sit around and, and look at cases themselves. It, you know, it was good to hear they finally have a director for the program, which took a while. And um, right. so, yeah. you know, anyway, I think it's all good. Um, it might be it might be fun to watch this um, to talk a little bit about Tim Burchett because he's such a stark contrast to what you saw oh, yes. there. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. after well, the hearing was over. So Congressman Tim Burchett from Tennessee is like this firebrand, you know, passionate, outspoken, bold person on this issue. And he was the only member of Congress other than the House members who were who were part of the committee who who came to the hearing. He was kind of appalled by, appalled by that. He, he you know, why should he have been the only one there? He was unhappy there weren't more people that just came from outside the committee. He was he was pleased that Schiff was there, which which was really great. But after the um the hearing, you know, he was somebody just asked him a question as he was leaving the hearing room. And before you knew it, the media was just swarmed around him with their their microphones and their and I was there with my cell phone. And he was just, you know, people loved the kinds of the way he was answering these questions. So I put a, I took a, a, a clip with my cell phone and I guess you have it, Martin, if you want I to do. play that. I just think it'd be really fun for people to see it and, and yeah. get the energy of this this very different kind of guy who's talking yeah. about this. Yeah. Here we go. What needs to happen to I think we need to be transparent. We need to trust the American public. People that was just give them all that we have. Quit giving these redacted reports. Quit telling us we're gonna have a report comes out come out and it's something i could have written in the fifth grade and and, and just and then say oh we gave you a report and then they move on it's just the arrogance of the military and the pentagon and congress it, it's uh that's why people don't trust us i have a t-shirt that i sell on my website and it's, it sells very well it says more people uh, believe in ufos than believe in congress and this is the very example why because uh, and I'm not holding any of the committee members at fault or these people here, but because of what they have, I think, is a very compartmentalized knowledge of, of what is going on really with the UFO phenomena. I just wish I could say it's resources and methods issue. Characterized the hearing today, and it was it fall short of what you expected. 100%. It was exactly, it's it like, it, I guess, you know, my biggest surprise when I got to Congress was that I wasn't surprised. My biggest surprise in here was I wasn't surprised. They're not going to come forth with any information. Any, any of the photos or any uh, uh, real witnesses. And I know what they'll say. It's all under classified. But if I know about it, I'm not in a classified. It, it seems as though it's all under classified or, or they were not given the official report. We saw yes, Representative on, yeah. Gallagher raise uh, some concerns about some uh, ICBMs. Very, yeah, and that has been something that's been out for a long time. I was, I was sort of surprised that they denied even knowledge of it, which to me is... Is is there is um, it's pretty much typified the whole hear, hearing, I think, and what all this. We keep hearing about sources and methods that have to be protected. Um, is there a way to find out in closed session whether or not these objects are coming from space? I mean, that question seems to be central that's, that's to a logical question. Yeah, uh, um, yeah I, I don't know. I'm not in. I'm not in. I mean, in the case of the Nimitz incident, it would be the great Nimitz to know. Incidents, yeah, and uh, they say, "Oh, well, we don't want to disclose how high the radar can track." But is there a way to just simply ask in uh, closed session? Sure. You did it come from? One hundred percent, you can do that. Yeah. So you think it's counterproductive what Congressman Gallagher brought up? Sorry. No, I think Gallagher uh, raised a very good question. It just proved my point that they're not very forthcoming with information. But I believe it's because of. Uh, uh, their knowledge is very compartmentalized. And, and I love anyway, that. yeah, he's he's really he's really cool. It's like we're being the reporter right in the room. <laughs> he said, um, you know, basically he thinks that there's he calls it a cover up, and he says um, he doesn't trust the DoD, and he says why are we giving the agency that's responsible for the cover up giving them the power to be the ones to do the investigation. Like the fox in the hen house. Exactly. I mean, yeah. that's uh, he makes that point all the time. And, you know, I mean, regardless if many, maybe other members are thinking that, they wouldn't say it. And he's just, he just lets, lets it rip. Yeah, I love um, that. And yeah. so there was, besides Schiff and him, there was no one else from outside that attended? There was Is no that one else. I mean, he sat in this, this, the rows, you know, that were behind the two 
were behind Moultrie and Bray, there were some rows of seats, mm -hmm. which were for people like him. He sat there, but there wasn't one other elected official there except for him. And he How was about unhappy that? about that. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they pro they'll probably I'm sure they're all watching it. I mean, yeah. they're, they're you know, they know they can watch it on, on the video. So maybe that's why. Oh, but I he's see. really yeah. devoted to this issue. Yeah. And um, I like his T-shirt, too. <laughs> yeah, he's just That's pretty uh, funny. has yeah. a lot of passion. I um, was able to go speak with him some more afterwards. And the other person that was there was Ryan Graves, who also held court with the media after the uh, after it happened. He was out in the hall and the media came all. I mean, they were they were really interested in these other people that, that were there, like him and, and Burchett. And I actually introduced Ryan to Tim Burchett. So they met for the first time. And it was great that he was there. Um he really added a lot to, you know, being, being available for interviews. So that was cool. Yeah. 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 That's great. And he touched on just for a second on historic, you know, basically on historic cases uh, that Gallagher brought up. And I, one of the things that comes up all the time is, you know, whether these are our adversaries, whether these are, you know, China or Russia or, you know, some other technology that we're unaware of. I really like the fact that they said there's no blue on blue, which means it's not, we're not chasing our own tails, that type of thing. But when it comes to historical cases, that seems like it's always lacking because as you know, you know, these, there have been accounts of things, you know, maneuvering like people are seeing today, the military is seeing today, many, many years ago before it would just be impossible for that technology to be, available at the time that people have witnessed them in the 60s in the 70s and 80s you know mm -hmm. and if that technology existed out there we would know about it there's there's just no way around it i i agree with you i mean i don't see how it could possibly be possibly be russian or chinese certainly not all of them i yeah. mean you know it's just uh and tim burchett will come right out and say that it's just not possible uh, I think we are moving more towards more and more people being willing to really say that, but there's always that they leave that door open, you know, they, and certainly the witnesses were very, uh, you know, careful about saying anything too radical and they would leave that door open. No, they could, they could be adversarial technology. Mm -hmm. um, it seems pretty unlikely. I mean, and I think the question that he raised about, do they come from space? That was another question that Chris, Chris Mellon raised before the hearing. He wrote a, a brilliant, uh, you know, post about questions that he thought should have been asked. And that was one of the top questions. It's like, do we have data that shows the objects coming from space? I mean, right. that would be very revealing, to, to put it mildly. And, you know, I wish somebody had asked them that. Um, I don't know what they would have said. They might have said we have to save that for closed sessions. Who knows? But it is a really, really good question. Uh, I think so. I've, yeah. I've wondered that for years. We we have the technology to see something incoming. We have um, satellites, you know, that can monitor that kind of thing. And, and I'm sure we do have data like that. It's just a question of, I'm sure it's classified too. So, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I like the way, I mean, they certainly talked about transparency being important. And I know it's important to the congressman. I mean, for when I spoke to Carson, he was so adamant. He's very passionate about this as well. You couldn't really tell from the him at this at the session, but he was very humanly connected to this issue. He really does care about it. He started looking into UFOs, reading books about him when he was 16. So it's something he cares about. And um, I think, uh, yeah, so I forget what we were talking about, but... <clears throat> I lost my train of thought, Martin. <laughs> well, we're uh, talking about historic cases, yeah. more or less, you know. Yeah. That, and that, yeah. The, you know, the, the Russian or Chinese, I mean, I think people like Carson are are very aware that these are not from here. I mean, I just. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Extraterrestrial, possi the possibility yeah, it's of that. Just, yes. And it's just a question of how to make that known, how slowly to make that known, what kind of data you need to have, you know, and all this sort of the process of, of, of a slow um, revealing of all of that and a slow unfolding of that. Um, I mean, it's actually been relatively fast if you look at it 
in the last, starting in 2017 compared to what it was before. Exactly. But nonetheless, um, you know, it's just, I think it's just going to keep unrolling and um, hopefully some of these other qu kinds of questions will be asked at the next hearing. And I think Burchett knows what questions need to be asked. Uh, yeah. He just wasn't part of the committee, so he didn't get to ask any questions. And there was a there was a point where uh, Scott Bray said something along the lines that they didn't want to reveal something that may be classified in their their methods and things like that. Or if they find something out, they wouldn't want it to be revealed to an adversary. So that made me question, of course, you could go into a conspiratorial a little bit about that. Does that mean that if they find out that it's extraterrestrial life per se, would that be something that they would keep want to keep from their adversaries, which would mean that they would have to keep it from the public in general? I know that's such an interesting question because what they always talk about is its sources and methods. It's our it's our technology, it's our sensor capabilities, it's our re, you know all the uh, technology that we have that we use to study these phenomena, and perhaps the day some of the data that we've acquired about the, the technology of the phenomena is what we don't want our adversaries to to have. But one of the congressmen did ask about you know could we have more cases that just involve. Uh, witness accounts, witness data, you know, more data about specific events. And um, I remember they, yeah, it was either, I forget, I think it was Bray who said, you know, um, I'm committed to being transparent and releasing those things as long as we can remove the sources and methods component. So we'll see whether they do that. I mean, it, it takes time and energy to, to make that happen. And they probably have other things they're focusing on, but it does seem to be that what they're talking about is more sources and methods. But then that's a really interesting question. If they, if they determine that some of these objects, if they can feel that they can prove to conclusively they're not from here, does that become a question that, I mean, obviously many people would believe that's a question that belongs to the, to everyone on this planet, yeah. but would they feel that that needed to be kept classified for because of something to do with our adversaries, I really don't know. Um, I don't know how they would how they would relate to that. And probably some of them already are aware of that. So, but they'd have to have very solid data to ever make a statement of that to that to that effect. Um, yeah. You know. So um, I don't know where that where that would fall. Right. And how you know like that would be such a hard thing to release for people to actually take it seriously. And I have been uh, talking to a number of people out there and uh, my uh, good friend has as well. Like she talked to her hairdresser, <laughs> people like that. Hey, did you hear about the hearing? No. What hearing? What are you talking about? Um, do you think that it, it got mainstream enough? I mean, it seems I mean, like that's a big deal to me. It's a big deal to all of us who care about UFOs. Huge deal. And it was all over the media. But I mean, that doesn't mean that the average person has any awareness of it. I think I, I tend to lose perspective on that, um, yeah. you know, because it's so much part of my world. And I associate yeah. with so many other people who, are, who it's also important to that I kind of forget that we really are in a minority, <laughs> you know, yeah. and just because it's all over the evening news doesn't mean that everybody's paying any attention to it or even cares. We have I a mean, very ephemeral society. Uh, things like one day and then the next day they're on to something, you know, it's something else. Exactly. And, it's and true. Yeah. All this information blasting at us from all over the place. Um, you know, so I don't know what we can really expect or, or hope for, but I'm just wondering if it would be the same thing if all of a sudden there was an announcement, uh, yes, uh, we have just discovered that these are uh, extraterrestrial visiting and don't be afraid. Everything's going to be okay. Nothing's happened yet. <laughs> uh, you know, if they announce that, uh, you would think that it would be like really earth shattering and changing and, and all that. But who knows? It might be another situation where, oh, yeah, yeah I heard that. Yeah, yeah. And and people not really taking it seriously. I, I, I wonder about that. I know. I wonder about it, too. I, I can't imagine it wouldn't be a big deal. I mean, really, paradigm shifts are a big deal. That's a paradigm shift. But yeah. it, the reactions and the impacts may might not happen overnight, you know, but I, I think it would have huge ramifications. But I think there'd also be a segment of the population that wouldn't care. 
Yeah. They just, just want to, they need to pay take their bills care of their and, families and go to work and live their lives. And they don't want to yeah. be bothered with this kind of thing. And, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, nothing's, they haven't harmed us yet. So I'm mm. not scared about it. I think we're, you know, I don't know, but I think it'll be a big moment when that happens, if, and when that happens, um, just like so many, I mean, so many of, people in the UFO community have thought about this thing for a long time, probably more, a lot more than I have. Uh, yeah. And it's just, uh, I don't know, uh, but it, it is a huge deal for that to happen. If there's a definitive announcement with yeah. data to back it up, you That's know, right. some kind of a report that shows analysis of a retrieved object or something like that, um, you know. And I still think it would be a small section of our society that would that would actually believe it. <laughs> I yeah, still think no matter question. what data is out there, it would be really hard for some people to understand or, or believe that. It's um, probably true. That a lot of people wouldn't believe it no matter what was said. You know, I was a little, this uh, question comes about the, the video um, and that they yeah. showed at the hearing. All right. And I was kind of disappointed with that. And I was thinking, is that really the best they have? <laughs> you know, you I mean, be sure it's not. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Uh, you know, we've heard about videos being absconded all the way back when Gordon Cooper was out in the desert. You know, I mean, there right. must be some really good video out there. And Which, of course, they probably don't have those those older videos. I mean, this task force is a really new operation. But right. they certainly have, if they have what ATIP had, which assumedly they do, because they're essentially sort of a continuity from ATIP, um, you know, I mean, Lou Elzano has talked publicly about the incredible videos that they have had at ATIP that he has personally seen, which are far superior to the three Navy videos that came out. So, you know, the one that they showed, it's not nothing special. I mean, it's, it's really nothing special at all. And we know that they have better. So the better ones are, are assumably are classified. Just like there's some buzz. Else. Yeah, there's buzz out there now uh, on Twitter that, you know, someone sent me that saying another video is going to be released by next weekend. I don't know if that's just a rumor or have you heard that as well? I don't know if they're talking about the um, conference that's happening in Utah at the end of this month. Oh, that that might be it. The Homeland might... Security videos that are coming out. That's probably what it is. That's probably I what it is. I suspect that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows what to uh, what that will be all about. But um, so when you're when you were there in the room, were you actually able to see the video? And it's too bad they wasted so much time on that, trying to find that little. I flicker. know that was crazy, wasn't it? I mean, th that they didn't anticipate in advance that probably they're going to be able to they're going to need to stop on that image. I mean, you know, I'm surprised they didn't have a still image already show yeah. but yeah i mean i i couldn't really i was sitting sort of behind the screen where the one where he got up and pointed to it and there's actually i actually was able to find some photos online that showed me sitting there but there was a screen across the room but it was very far away from where i was sitting so i couldn't see it very well at all but i knew that i would be able to look at it online so it didn't really matter and so afterwards uh what was i mean i were you kind of, I was surprised that it got over as quickly as it did. Uh, did you have any idea that it was going to be an hour and a half? Well, yeah, I, I was told it would be about that, actually, oh, yeah, from Carson's mm -hmm. office. So I wasn't surprised. Um, but it looked like some of the committee members were not present. There were some empty seats. Um, ah. I haven't gone through the list to figure out who was present and who wasn't. Maybe I'm sure some people have done that. But um, it may have been that it would have been a little longer if all the Maybe I'm wrong, but there were. It looked like there were empty seats there, so I don't know if all the members were there. I think Tim Tim Burchett was saying that they weren't all there. Um, and does does that change anything when they're when they're not there? I or? think as long as there's a quorum, they're fine. I see. Mm -hmm. He kept talking about, oh, I don't know if there was a quorum, uh, and I don't know why if that matters or not. Uh, he seemed to think it did. Um, so I, I don't know, but I th I think there was enough people there for a quorum. I mean, it, it, it's. It's, well, I know you have absolutely no idea what happened in the classified section of of the meeting later on that day, and there's nothing really to say about that. But do you think that would you um, speculate that what happened there is going to move things forward more? 
I assume. I mean, the more classified briefings that the members of Congress can get, the better, the more informed they are. And in those briefings, hopefully they're putting more pressure on on Moultrie and Bray to do what they want them to do. So, uh, you it, know. Yeah. yeah, so there's the, the director and then there's Moultrie and Bray. Is that really it and everything else is like outside? Um, I, I want to say like contractors, but outside consulting is that kind I mean, of? I mean, I'm sure they have staff that are involved with this. They just aren't open about it. But this this office, you know, the, what they call the task force, and then it also has that weird Ames Gog or whatever it is, Ames Sog. I know, so hard to pronounce. <laughs> um, way too many, way too many words. <laughs> they have people working on that, I'm sure. Beyond just, I mean, those two guys are more supervisors. So yeah, they hire a director. I'm assuming they're going to have staff as well. And they have liaisons to all these different other other agencies. I mean, I don't know. I'm not privy to all the inside workings of it, but it seems like they, you know, they have not made a lot of progress. And I think that's the sense I got from Lou Elizondo, who's really on the inside of this, that they have a ways to go in terms of really making all this stuff happen that that the legislation has mandated needs to happen. I mean, they're supposed to issue a report for the public in October. Uh, mm. They don't seem very close to being able to do that. I mean, according to this, I believe the first port report, according to the Gillibrand legislation, is due in October. So they just need to get things going a little more, you know, get things happening. And I think uh, this hearing is is a nudge for them to do that because it, it ha they haven't been moving very quickly, it doesn't seem like. And how would that work as far as would they – entertain of working with allies, other countries. I know that you've been an advocate for that. Oh, definitely. And I know that Lou, Lou feels, Lou Elizondo feels that's extremely important. And he made an interesting comment because there were a number of points in the hearing where um, some of them, where the witnesses said, I don't remember which one, that they were, you know, the allies, some of the allies were sharing data with us. Some countries were sharing with us, and, and we're sharing with some countries. I remember him right. saying that. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. I mean, El Lou Elizondo made the point that he's been – some of the allies have been reaching out to him saying we have – nobody's been contacting us. Hmm. Uh, you know, they want to work with us, and they need to work with us. And I think uh, Lou Elizondo is, is helping to facilitate that. But um, I don't get the sense that it's quite as developed, those relationships, as they might have indicated at the hearing. I'm not sure, though. But it's it's a really, really important part of the of the whole process, that it's got to be an, an international effort. I think that's so important. Um, every country has data to share. Every country mm -hmm. can learn from every other country. And ultimately, when we get to the bottom of what this is, that's a, a planetary issue. It is a planetary yes. issue. And it has existential ramifications for every human being. So the more sharing that there is, the better. It's not something that should be owned by any one country, ultimately. I mean, we have to be concerned about the, the national security side of it, obviously. But there's another side of this, which is goes beyond that, which is just the fact that it is what it is. And what does that mean for us as human beings? How does that redefine who we are, how we see ourselves, you know, the bigger questions that are associated with this. And I think because of those bigger questions, it's part of the reason why it needs to become a global effort. I mean, I, I just, that just seems really important to me. And I think to many others, um, and let's hope that, I think we will move more in that direction. It makes and, total yeah. sense because like you said, you know, there was a great bipartisan well, it should be a great, you know, world uniting um, to to find out the truth. I mean, there's nothing that I can think that would be in uh, in a negative way about that. Yeah, although there will be countries that want that are just only focused on acquiring the technology and having the advantage of you know being able to have that technology. I mean, whoever has that technology rules the world basically so there's always going to be i think the conflict about that i can't imagine that 
Russia, China, and America are just going to let all that go and be best friends and share whatever they know. I don't think that's going to happen. But sure. there can be a lot more, um, you know, of a global. I think the more that other countries, besides those three, can come on board with this and, and start to establish their own authority within this, you know, within this investigation and start contributing, that's going to help balance out the sort of focus on China, Russia, and America. Um, and I think that would be a positive thing. Do you think that they more or less claimed that there's no crashed retrieval uh, material? They did. They absolutely said, they said, not in our possession, mm -hmm. not in the possession of the task force. Well, yeah, you oh. can be sure that if these things exist, they're not sitting there in the office of the task force. They're in a, a you know, deeply buried special access program. Uh, so right. I think that well, was that doesn't mean we don't have it. It just means the task force doesn't have it. And I mentioned this last week when I had Ralph Blumenthal on for a few minutes that uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that they had a specialist in metallurgy. Yeah, totally. So what does and, that mean? You know, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I just don't think the task force is not the ultimate. You know, they, they don't have everything. And they don't know everything. And um, they haven't been around that long. I mean, think of all the things that go back decades, right? They haven't been around for more than a couple of years. So, right. Um, yeah. And if we have any retrieved craft or retrieved debris or whatever, we've had it for longer than that. So it's already locked up somewhere. Right. Um, right. So, Fascinating. I yeah, mean, if it exists. If it exists. And I, I believe that it does. I believe that they're our government does possess some physical evidence. Um, lots of sources have told me that, and there have actually been briefings that have been conducted by the, that were conducted by the ATIP program for members of Congress and others basically discussing that. So as we wrote about wow. in our New York Times story in July of 2020, where we addressed the question of crash retrieval. So, um, you know, there's pretty, it's pretty highly, highly likely that they do have stuff and, and, yeah, people. I think that's becoming more and more clear as time goes on. Well, the for for one thing, the reverse technology. I'm not sure if that's even if we could even understand what what we're looking at. Right. You know that that's the big question. You know, could someone 300 years ago understand how a cell phone works? You know that uh, exactly. would be awful. I mean, I I have no idea, but I'm just speculating that the technology must be incredible if that's, if that's what it is, you know, if that's, if it came from extraterrestrial, if it made it here, it seems like it would have to have a technology beyond. And then oftentimes you hear in that case, well, if that's so, then how come it crashed? <laughs> you know, know, that's what you hear All a these lot. questions. I mean, yeah. it may not be from another planet either. I mean, we don't, we don't right. know where these things are from. Yeah. Um, so, we just have no idea, but um, it's all, it's such a huge mystery, Martin. Right. Um, as, as Schiff acknowledged, and, you know, I love that he said that, one of the greatest mysteries of our time or one of something like that. Right. It's absolutely true. It's hard to put all the pieces together of what we know about this phenomenon and have them all make sense. And um, I think that's part of what is intriguing about the whole thing, is to try to do that. And see if we ever can get to the bottom of it. Maybe we never will. Maybe it's something completely incomprehensible to us. Uh, yeah, I, I, I almost think that is probably so myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That could um, be. Can you talk at all about what exactly the CNN the CNN series will be? Can you? Yeah, it's. I mean, detail? I can say a little bit about it. It's called okay. the title of it is finally. It's called um, UFOs investigating investigating the unknown. I believe that's the title, and it's five episodes, um, and its focus is really on the relationship between government and UFO investigations. So it covers um, some of what's happened. You know, a lot of what's happened since 2017. It also covers goes back through time and looks back at. Um, the Project Blue Book phase and some of the cases that occurred after that. Um, and, you know, I can't, I can't say a whole lot about the details of it, but I, 
for some of the UFO people out there, they're going to say, oh, we already know all this. But I, I, we have to remember that this show is geared towards an audience that doesn't know anything. And they're the ones that need to be reached. That's right. And yeah. um, there is also a lot of new stuff in there. I think there's some absolutely great interviews with people that everyone will find fascinating. And the filmmakers did a great job. So um, I think it's it's going to be, and it was supposed to come out in July, but we're not sure yet now if that's still going to happen. We're not, that's, I think the date is just being decided now. Yeah. Oh, I see. Well, I'll tell you yeah. what, when that, when that is uh, about ready to come out, uh, please do uh, let me know and I'll, I'll make sure that, you know, I get it out there on this show. Great. And, Thank you. Yeah. And I'm, Posting right now in the chat room, I'm posting the link to our next show, which begins in about nine minutes. So, And um, I want to recommend to people, I mean, I've, I've known Randy for years. He's a close yes. friend of mine, Randy Nickerson, and he made an amazing film. It's really moving. It's really um, just sort of transcends all the fighting that's going on about this topic it's not about government it's not about officials it's just about human beings yes a lot of them children and then you see them as adults it's about the impact on these human beings of, of having this encounter and it's it's just a really really great moving wonderful film i real highly recommend everybody everybody yeah. watch it um yeah i was i was involved with throughout the whole journey that randy went through and the rendition different man renditions of that movie and the struggles he went through and the work yeah. he did on that film over a long long period i think it's been at least 10 years yeah you know, with like no, 13, you know, 13 13 of hard work yeah financial mm -hmm. struggles everything yeah. Yeah. so dedicated and uh this is yeah. his day this is his time to celebrate and That's i right. hope everybody will will enjoy that movie and i i don't think you can watch it and not not be moved by it i mean absolutely it's really really wonderful so i'm so glad you're having him on and yeah. um yeah i think he's watching us right now <laughs> oh good hi randy <laughs> yeah. uh thank you so great. much leslie i'm happy to be with you martin thanks for having right. me always a great conversation all thank right. you okay Take care. bye yeah all right bye all right everyone so you want to jump over to the next stream and for those of you watching uh, live, that's what you want to do. And I am going to sign out for this show. And thank you very much.